Are you ready? <laughs> is it recording? I don't know. Oh my god. I don't know. Is it? I hope so, because I'm gonna start talking about Tenant. And if we, it's recording, it's Gus, recording. And if we it's... already talked about Tenant. I know. But it's the one year anniversary, and it's our first I'll... ever episode of Front Row Podcast. I'll tell you what. Yeah. When I rewatched Tenant, yeah, it's still good. It holds up. It's really if anything, good. it might be better. I think it's gotten better than a first. But like, I think part of that is it took me four times through to like really appreciate everything oh, that went into it. A hundred percent. That I didn't necessarily catch the first time when we saw it in theaters. So uh, did we? Um, we recorded immediately after we watched it we the did, first like time. Day right? of, yeah. I think. That was probably not the best decision because I went and saw it again um, a second time with a couple other friends, like yeah. maybe like two days later, like on a Saturday night. And we, uh, when we got back from the theater, pulled out like sheets of paper and a pen and we're drawing diagrams and trying to figure out everything that was because there was just so much, so much shit in that movie going on. That you to really truly understand it, I I do think you really you do just have to sit down, map thing and map things out to yeah, get. Yeah, it's not it's actual not something grasp. that you can like. I don't know. You can't grab a hold of a lot of the story. Just like it takes time to process. You can't just watch it and ex- know exactly what's going on. Right. Right. Um. And I think multiple viewings really helps with that grasp. Yeah, so that, I think, I think so that... because because there's things that you see, you know, there's there's twists that you might notice in the first one that right. the second time around you already know that it's coming and you can kind of focus on something else. Right. And that's what I found is each time that I've watched it, I've had kind of a new focus because I've kind of figured things out the first time around. Yeah. Um, yeah. This the most recent time that I watched it, I was focusing a lot on the dialogue uh-huh. and actually I remember when we talked about it the first time mm-hmm. I think that was like one of the negatives that I had was just a lot of like you know walking exposition right throughout the movie also like inaudible dialogue too. right 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 but watching it now for the third or fourth time yeah there's a lot of details that can be missed if you're not paying attention and mm-hmm. what i realized is that even though there is quite a bit of lengthy dialogue it's mm-hmm. never wasted like it always right. it always serves a purpose mm-hmm. um and i think that that's kind of something that chris nolan has managed to do in a lot of his movies yeah um we do get a lot of scenes where the <clears throat> you know the characters are either just talking to each other you know, telling, basically telling the audience what's happening through this right. conversation. Yeah. But it all, it all serves a purpose. And mm-hmm. by paying attention to what's being said, you can better grasp the story that he's trying to tell. And right. with a, with a story as complex as this one and a lot of his other films, mm-hmm. like it's important to understand what is going on. And right. so those words matter. Yeah. I think one thing I, I kind of picked up on the, uh, most recent time I watched was, um, Moments of inaudible dialogue, you know, that was that was probably the biggest criticism of this movie was that there were so many moments where dialogue was inaudible. It felt like the music was drowning it out. Right. But when I watched it again this time, I, the whole time I was thinking to myself, okay, this is Christopher Nolan we're talking about. The, it, there wasn't a sound mixing mistake. It wasn't something he overlooked. He did it for a reason. There has to be a reason why... 
he has these moments. Yeah. And one of my, one of the moments that really kind of, that really kind of, uh, stood out to me is the moment where, um, um, what's his name? The British guy, um, Michael Caine. No, the younger guy, his partner, John David Washington's oh, partner. Um, um, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Thank you. I, I don't know. His, his I don't know his name. character's name. Where I can't remember it either. It's like Smith or something super simple. Where Robert Pattinson's character is in that vault talking to the guy where they're keeping all these eclectic paintings, right? Yeah. That's one of those moments when it's just those two where he's describing all the rooms to him and things are going on and you can't really hear what he's saying to Robert Pattinson's character. And one thing that scene does is it focuses a lot on how Robert Pattinson is viewing the room. How he, what he's looking at, where he's looking, right? The, t- the the amount of attention he's devoting to certain areas in the room that aren't the actual paintings, and to me, that moment serves as Chris Nolan using the visuality and the actual um, reaction of a character to provide the information that that scene is trying to to put across. That's one of those moments where he doesn't want to bear you down with dialogue, where he wants the actual visual image to speak for itself. Well, and that's a way of him kind of inserting the audience into the scene. Right, uh, right. Because you're kind of, you're experiencing it in the way that he would want one of his characters to experience it. And right. you're, you're receiving the same information as they would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've kind of talked extensively about how Christopher Nolan has such a high level of respect for the audience that a lot of directors don't have. Um, and I think a lot of these editing choices come down to exactly that, that right. he, he is comfortable putting the audience in a situation where we have to figure it out on our own right. because he thinks that we can, you know, he doesn't dumb yes. down his movies. Yeah. He doesn't dumb down individual scenes. He floods us with information, but you know, the dialogue, like you said, is, is structured in a way, whether it's through editing or through the words being said, the dialogue is edited in a way that allows the audience to only get the information they need. And right. then the, the cinematography is, is done in a way where our eyes are always guided to where they need to be, but they don't have to, you know, he doesn't have to force anything because he trusts right. that we can catch on to what he's trying to right. tell us. What's the greatest thing about a filmmaker who respects their audience is they give you info dumps through, through visuals, right. right? Through actual, through cinematography and the way a scene is lit and the way it's, it's framed and the way that camera actually moves through a space as opposed to just always loading us up with dialogue and information that a character is just kind of spitting out on, on, on screen. Right. And that's again, that's one of the, one of the things that this movie, especially out of all the movies in in Christopher Nolan's uh, catalog, now I think one of, that's probably one of the, as far as his movies go. This is probably his strongest movie in terms of just pure visual aesthetic. Yeah, and the way the visuals actually kind of push you through the story and kind of push you through the narrative. Well, and <clears throat> it's. It's interesting because he also finds a way, you know, to establish the characters. Right. Just, but only, only the amount that he needs to. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense, but like, we don't know, we don't know too much about the characters. Right. Where I, we're yeah. just like getting endless backstory, but right. we're also never confused about 
who the characters are or why they're important to the story. Right. We're never we're we never misunderstand a decision they make. Right. And right? that's so that's something that I thought about just with this most recent viewing as well is that that opening scene um, at the opera house or the oh, yeah. the symphony what would you call it? I don't know. Regardless. Um, I think Opera House is a good, yeah. That opening scene, which, by the way, is absolutely brilliant. I think they call it the Opera House. I think oh, yeah. the first Beautiful. couple times I watched that, I was trying to connect that to the rest of the story. Uh-huh. And while it is important, that scene isn't necessarily part of the the story that's going to be told throughout the film. It it gives us it establishes John David Washington's character, mm-hmm. um, and and kind of sets the groundwork for um, the decisions he'll make going forward. You see what type what type of person he is, um, you know. You see his his loyalty, his willingness to um, kind of make decisions for the greater good, right? Right. Even if it's not best for him or best for the mission, and those kinds of things are going to carry on throughout the film. The opening scene does a great job of that while also just giving us a tiny glimpse into, you know, we see that the first reversed bullet. Right. And right. and it's only one shot and it's very brief and we see a, a very short shot of Robert Pattinson as yeah. well. But those things aren't even going to come up until later on. Later on. That yeah. whole opening scene is just there to establish John David Washington as the protagonist. Right. And that's actually his name in the movie. Is right. Just, it's just protagonist yeah i think i think it also gives us a glimpse into how kind of brutal this world is right like how how serious and how high the stakes are yeah like how how violent things could get how how serious they could be mm-hmm. especially like like the torture scene in the train yard after they get caught oh, yeah by the i guess they're russians um that whole scene is so brutal and I think it, it kind of it's like an immediate kind of exposure to, you know, how again, how serious everything is, how high these stakes are, and how like important the mission at hand really is. Right. Yeah. Well and and it also it gives us the sense without having to tell us too much of a backstory, it shows us that the protagonist has kind of been in these situations before. Mm-hmm. That the stage is not gonna be too big for him once we get to the main mission. Right. Um, and you know, I think that, I think that in this movie in particular, Uh you know, because we have so many moving parts to keep track of, um, and characters that are, I guess even a little bit shallow compared to some of Nolan's other films and the characters he builds in his other movies. Right. Um, it, it shows, you know, it shows Nolan's skill as a writer, when it comes to writing these characters where we don't have a lot of detail, but we mm-hmm. know enough to drive the story and enough to make us care about what right. each of the characters is doing. And part of that is for sure. John David Washington. He's basically, so good. basically being, I don't want to say a carbon copy of his dad cause he's not his dad, but he, what he, all the best parts yeah. of Denzel Washington come through in John David Washington's performances. Agreed. Especially in this movie. He has, so much so much pull when he's on screen like he just has like this there's like this addictive quality to his performance like you want to hear what he's going to say you right. you're excited to see what he's going to say next and he has so many great like um the line when they're in the uh when they're at that restaurant right when he's at the restaurant with uh uh Sater's wife yeah 
and uh, she walks out, and then the the you know his uh, his G men so to speak like walk him through the kitchen. They get into the kitchen, and he says something about like no one ever brought me my Thousand Island dressing or something like that. Oh yeah, dude, that was early. What did he say? He's like, I asked for mustard for my. I can't remember what he said, but he says it, and it's just like this out of nowhere. Like he's just trying to be. He's just trying to like bring brevity into the fact that he's about. To, they're trying going to try to kick his shit in, and he's just like. Which then he I kicks for, their shit in yeah. instead. And, and, it, that, and, dude, and that scene is so cool too with, um, I think her name is Kat in the movie. The, yeah, that yeah. girl that he was meeting with. Uh-huh. Um, but she's out in the car because her husband wants her to have to watch this guy get beat up right, and dragged right. into the alley. Yeah. And uh, like a minute later, he just comes walking out and buttons his button. Right. And he has, he has, I think the kind of, the kind of charisma and swagger that, Denzel has yes that is something that was certainly passed down right. where every move he makes he always it he, just looks cool. he never looks like he's trying to do no, anything it just looks like effort like effort he's just like effortlessly swapped and he all he the doesn't time. he doesn't have to even in scenes where maybe he's not the most important person on screen like he just takes right. over every scene that he's in yeah and and we talked about we've actually talked about him a couple times and how yeah. you know Denzel he makes he makes scenes and he makes movies just by being in them just by right? being like in the, yeah. a movie you can expect it to be pretty good right. if he's in it right and even in a you know we talked about it with the little things with a movie that is just good Denzel yeah. will always be great and, and he'll always elevate it and John David Washington is on that path he is for sure you know, and the fact that he landed a movie like this Right. I mean, I say like relatively early on in his career. I think before this, he did Ballers. Yeah. I think that was also. I'm on season four of Ballers. Isn't it great? It's so good. It's and so much fun. And he's like he's really good in one it. One of the main bright spots in that. But movie. I w- I would say that Tenant is more his like breakout role. Yeah. Because uh, oh, absolutely. Christopher being in a Christopher Nolan movie is like getting the cher- is getting the whole Sunday with the cherry on top. Yeah. Like you don't you you don't miss anything. Right. Right. That is like that is peak. Like that is the, the 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 peak of the hierarchy in movies you could star in. Well, and right? what I think is great about it is even though we spend a lot of time, you know, comparing his positive traits to Denzel Washington, he's paving his own path, and he's right. like he is making a name for himself. Yeah, he's it, still you know, very much his own his he's, own he's person. Not, he's not his finding own path. success because of Denzel. Right, and that's I think that that's an important factor. Yeah, and that's going to be important for him moving forward in his career. He's finding success because he is skilled individually it's just the skills that he has yeah are also what his dad has right and it's just that it makes it really hard not to compare them in a positive way though yeah right like sometimes you compare re- like related actors or writers or directors in a negative way because you're like well this guy's doing amazing stuff sure. but this guy who's related like that that guy's brother kind of shit but in this case it's like John David is amazing because of all of these things that his dad had that he also has. Yes. And that makes it like, it's like exciting. We get another generation of a Washington actor and like we're his age. Right. Right. So when Denzel eventually, I mean, Denzel's not that old, but like he'll still be around for a while. And now John David's going to be around for even longer. So we just get like, we get to have these decades of great, potentially great movies because they're around doing doing movies like this like tenant right yeah dude that that restaurant scene in the music 
the music from uh um oh what is the composer's name it's a weird name it's uh i'm on the imdb page you're on the imdb you're on the imdb IMDb. page um ludwig Göransson. ludwig Göransson. i don't know how to say his last name i'm i'm but i'm i'm butchering it for sure brilliant the like the like the slow guitar like the very subtle guitar riff that's playing in the background as he's just kicking the shit out of these guys. I'm sure I pointed that out in the first time we talked I, about this movie. It still hits though. Yeah. It just has such such an impact on that scene. It makes it like this like badass like western standoff sounding scene, but it's obviously a very modern picture that's in, in no way like a traditional looking western. But a lot of this movie has those Western kind of themed influences, I think. I loved my favorite part of the score was actually the opening scene and like the, oh, the yeah. opening seconds where the score is it's taking place on screen because we're seeing the band like warming up. Right, right. But they're playing the sounds uh-huh. that build tension. The same way that, like, in horror movies, they use, like, high-pitched stringed instruments to start yeah, building yeah, tension. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the same thing here. It opens with it opens with this band just warming up, and we're watching it happen on screen. But right. it starts ramping up until it basically becomes part of the score. Yeah. <clears throat> the music eventually stops when they're interrupted by gunfire. Mm-hmm. And then the score picks up. And it is the way that... The way that I I don't know how to say his name either. The Ludwig, composer Ludwig Göransson. The way that the composer you know was able to build tension while also sticking with the theme of time throughout this movie. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. We, you always have kind of that. It almost sounds like a ticking clock throughout, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's something that Nolan composers have used before. Right. Um, Interstellar comes to mind mm-hmm. because he likes to play with time right, as a right. theme. Um, but Dunkirk, the, Dunkirk is Dunkirk, another one. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so we we kind of get these these themes in the music that we've heard before, but this one from start to finish, I think was, yeah. um, especially, you know, we we already come to expect the greatness of Hans Zimmer. Right. And he wasn't on this movie. He wasn't on and this. And I was not disappointed at they, all. Well, and honestly, it's because this guy they got is like, He's an, he kind of relatively new into film scoring. Sure. But what he's done so far, he's done some amazing stuff. Like he did, he's done all of the, um, um, the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and the music in that is great. The, what's really great about this composer is he uses instruments like, like the electric guitar and makes them, it makes it like an orchestral cinematic sound. But he uses like, um, I, I think it's just called like minimalist. He uses very minimalist styles and incorporates them into scenes very well in a way that's very effective. And and I was I was you know it was weird you know because I we talked about that before the movie came out of how Hans Zimmer wasn't going to be scoring it and what it was going to be like. Yeah, and I think I and think I was, Hans Zimmer was working on Dune and that's why he wasn't doing Tenet because oh. Dune would have come out probably around the same time. I think so. It, yeah, it was supposed to be October of last year, so yeah. like a month later. So. And I'm pretty sure that's why Hans Zimmer didn't do Tenet, okay, so, or at least part of the reason. Right, right. Um, I thought, too, and this is something I think we talked a lot about 
you know, the cinematography yeah. with the the oh, first time we talked sure about we it. Yeah. And that holds up. That's one of the things where I was more impressed with the cinematography this time around when I wasn't necessarily trying to figure out the story. Right. And to see to see the scale at which Chris Nolan was able to pull off um, some of these reversed time shots. Uh-huh. And when you're watching, the, the scene that comes to mind is the battle scene at the end with all the buildings right, exploding. Right. And there oh, are dude. shots that are being used twice, both forward and in forward reverse. And, yeah. and buildings that are being collapsed and then built back up. And the yeah. way that it is shot... And I guess more specifically it would be the way that it was edited and the way that it was right. put together. I well, thought, the fact that I thought it was like... some of Nolan's best ever. And he's he has always done nothing but practical effects. Right. But this movie was so much different than the practical effects we've seen before. Right. You know, with <clears throat> with things like um Interstellar, we've seen like huge sets. Right. I'm I'm right. thinking of like the the bookshelf. That they yes, built. That they actually built. Or in um, Inception, the rotating hallway that they're yes. actually filming fight scenes on. Right, right. But this was something completely different. Because right. it wasn't... It was large scale as in the setting, right? We might be on a highway or we might be in this old abandoned city. Mm-hmm. But the camera tricks that are being used right. are <clears throat> all smaller scale. Smaller. Oh, yeah. Like right. blowing up a half a building or driving a car blowing in up an already like half exploded building right right yeah or driving a car in reverse but then at and the so, same and time so those things the the tricks that they use right might be a little bit smaller might not be as grandiose especially when you're watching it yeah but i'm almost more impressed by this than i am with some of his other right his other cinematography well so you, you you're right you do have things that are a little bit more to scale but then you also have him taking a Boeing 747 True. and just going, um, we're just going to crash it into this building. Yeah. And like, okay, well, how do you want to like, how do you want to edit around that? He's like, no, no, no. We're actually just going to crash it into the building. And they're like, okay, um, that'll be like $30 million. He's like, all right. Oh, dude. Good. That had to have been a big chunk of his budget. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I bet the absolutely. rest went to shutting down a highway while they drove backwards on it for like two well, weeks. Well, a ton of it also <laughs> probably went to all the IMAX cameras they had to use. Oh, yeah. And all the IMAX film they had to buy. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure he breaks like four IMAX cameras on every movie Dude, he and shoots. they're they're worth millions. Because they're fucking giant. They're giant ass cameras. Yeah. And he does he does shots that are very difficult to, um, to execute, right? So sometimes... Right. You're fucking around with a giant IMAX camera trying to move it through a scene like when you're on the highway. And you're going to break it. Yeah, you're going to drop it. You're probably going to break it. I remember, it's crazy to think, though, how far filmmaking has come in that respect. Because oh, yeah. I remember when he broke an IMAX camera filming The Dark Knight and people yeah. freaked out. Like, like People lost their minds yeah. that he broke a camera that was that high tech, that expensive. And now he probably uses five in a shoot. And that's just oh, a yeah. guess. I don't know. Right, but, right. We have no idea. Like... But. It's it's crazy to see. He was kind of a pioneer when it came to shooting in IMAX, mm-hmm. and especially when it came to cutting IMAX with traditional film right, uh, or traditional right. film cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing it all come together, I think this is, if I remember correctly, yeah. this is the most IMAX footage he's used in any individual film. I believe so. Um, 
And by the way, we saw it in IMAX the first time. Yeah. That is how it should be watched. A hundred percent. It needs it to be watched in IMAX. It is. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. It's one of the best, like, pure movie viewing experiences, I think. I honestly think it's nothing shy of a visual masterpiece. Yeah. Honestly, a year later, I think that is completely valid. I can hear arguments about maybe lacking story or, or character development or character motivation. Sure. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I think it's it's very hard to argue against this being like visually one of the most like one of the greatest visual spectacles ever ever put on screen. Right. Well, I think that is an easy argument. I don't even think it's an argument. I and think to it's, me. Another aspect of that is not just the cinematography, but also the choreography. And I don't know who right. the choreographer on this movie was, but their know. work is unmatched. Like we, we've never yeah. seen choreography like this in oh, a no. movie. Seen ever. The, and especially way, yeah. not especially not again doing it practically. Anybody right. can film somebody running forward and then just play it in reverse. Right. They yeah. just have people running backwards. Right. Or they have people fighting backwards to where you can watch it forward or back and it makes sense. And it makes sense. And yeah. that blows my mind. They that have people crazy. moving forward in time and back in time in the same scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Dude, it's and crazy. It, when you watch it, your mind like your brain realizes that it's not natural. Right. But it's so smooth that you can't quite like point out what is yeah. going on. You with can't it. like really quite explain why it feels when unnatural. they are when they're fighting the reversed versions of themselves right. in the right. the art vault. Yeah. Those that scene is is one where you watch it and you're like, okay, that's not right. It's almost like uncomfortable watching yeah. them yeah. fight because it's so like the movement is so unnatural. Like something unnatural until is we come back around to it and you realize they were fighting themselves in reverse. Right. And you watch it and you realize that they're actually doing those things. Like mm -hmm. they're just having a reverse choreographed fight right. on camera. And it's it's mind blowing. Well, and one of them knows that they're fighting themselves yeah. right but yeah the other one doesn't right so right. the so characters are a, trying to figure it out too. that adds another dynamic to it you got this one guy like basically trying not to kill himself yeah or like trying to like survive because the his the the past version of himself that he is fighting in inverse time doesn't know that he's fighting himself and could kill him if he had the chance yes it's fucking nuts and there are so many scenes like that that have that that many layers of yeah. things going on at one time. And the, it, like, I think each time you kind of, like you said, each time you watch it, you kind of focus on something else. One thing I did last time I watched it was like, there were just like a few different scenes where I realized, Holy shit. There was so many, so many layers in just this one scene of like this character's motivation compared to this character's motivation, what mm -hmm. this character is doing based on what this character told them. And, the whole movie, almost the whole movie, is like that. There's no one scene where one conversation isn't layered with with something else that we've already seen or have yeah. already heard, and you know, that's one of Nolan's greatest strengths is that like he, I think he, he holds down all that complexity and still makes it uh, like digestible. Sometimes yeah. it might take more than one time. Like in Inception was one of those movies. Where you really have to see it more than once to understand all the layers of what's actually going on. Yes. Right. 
and I think this movie is like that. He doesn't make he doesn't make movies where you can just sit down for two and a half hours, understand everything the first time, and just move. He makes movies that he I really think he wants people to not necessarily be confused, but I think he wants people to go back in order to yeah, be able to I, truly I think comprehend it's intentional. everything. Yeah. He, oh, like, for sure. He wants you watching it multiple times. <clears throat> Again, I think that's a respect thing. That's a thing where he goes, I'm going to give you something that's going to throw you. And true fans will go back and watch it. People who really love cinema and and that that kind of viewing experience that you can only get through a movie, those people are, are going to go back. And I think... Anyone that watches a Nolan movie is going to be that type of... At this point, it's probably going to be that type of of movie watcher, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, I think that that's part of the draw of a Nolan movie. You know that you're going to watch something right. that you're going to have to chew on a little bit. Yeah, like, even even like his... Like The Dark Knight. Yeah. Like that's a DC comic. Like, there's not a lot of... Not as much complexity there as like Memento or The Prestige, which he right. made, you know, before these. But well, he made The Prestige in the middle, of, but you know, it, it's a it's a comic book character, right? But even those movies have so much, so many, so much character depth and and contextual layers, you know, in each scene when characters are conversing with each other. Even even that movie, even those movies, you, there, there's a lot to chew on there, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot that you kind of have to look back on and, and and really think about after you watch it or or while you're watching it. And I think the further we get into his career, I think the more he's kind of honing in on that, like being able to really have great control over that complexity and be able to add more complexity if he wants to. Because well, he he has such a grasp on what he's trying to accomplish, and I think he's also at a point he's produced <clears throat> enough movies where the audience and the critics alike know what's coming, right? Or they know what to expect from a Christopher Nolan film, yes. And that gives him the freedom to explore these wacky ideas, right? That he probably wouldn't have got away with, you know, fifteen years ago, right? But now we know we we know when we're going to watch a Nolan movie in the theater, right? That we're probably gonna have to wait till it comes out on DVD and watch it again because right. we're not gonna catch everything the first time. No, no, and, absolutely not. And not that he, you know, he doesn't abuse that, but he almost he kind of gets a free pass where he can give us stuff that is confusing as hell. Oh yeah, because it's just kind of understood. We're gonna have to watch it again. We're just, it's just yeah. Like you're you're gonna have to experience this more than once, right? To truly grasp what's going on. Yeah. Um. Do you think we should grade it again? I mean, my grade hasn't changed. I don't remember what I gave it. I'm pretty sure I gave first it. Time. Pretty sure I gave it an A. It's last an A. time. Oh, for sure. It is an A. Oh yeah. And I think it's gotten better. It has. It's it's aging very well. It I is. think. And well, I think that if someone were to watch Tenet for the first time. They would justifiably be confused. Dude, okay, so the s- third time I watched Tenet, the f- it was the first time after I'd seen it in theaters. Yeah. Uh, I watched with my sister when uh, we were living together. Because um, she kind of she likes sci-fi movies, like movies that are a little 
uh, she she really likes Christopher Nolan movies. Actually, she she would be a she doesn't know it, but she would be a huge Christopher. She would watch all the Christopher Nolan movies that he's ever watched released, and she would be a diehard Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah. He, he would probably be her favorite director. So I was like, we should watch Tenet. She was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's like this espionage thriller, thriller about a guy who's like trying to prevent, you know, nuclear holocaust. And she's like, yeah, okay. And I started playing it. And she was, dude, like she was glued to the screen. <laughs> glued for yeah. two and a half hours, two hours and four, however long it is. And it ended. And she was like, what the fuck? was that and i was yeah. like it's good isn't it she was like yeah but i don't know what just like she's like it was really good but i'm so confused and i was like well that's kind of that's well, kind of christopher nolan's but, thing but because of that like i don't i don't necessarily blame the people that give up on it the first time right it's understandable because of yeah. how much there is to take in and you have to be like fully prepared to invest yourself in these movies yes you this is a movie that demands attention it's it's not one that you can really just casually distracted like check your texts and hop on twitter for a couple you have to know what's going on you have to sit down and just for two and a half hours just have nothing distracted it wasn't until i think the fourth time i watched it that i like let myself be a little distracted while i was watching again i i think that that also plays into what nolan wants right Again, he makes movies for true fans of film. And true fans of film, when they watch movies, for the most part, at least for the first time, aren't distracted, right? They they, yeah. they, they shed all distractions and just watch what's going on on the screen. Except for me. I love texting during movies. Yeah, I know. It's, I don't know it's if you've a, noticed a, that. I do notice it, and I want to grab your phone and throw it it's one of, onto the screen it's every one, time. It's one of my favorite activities. The only time I ever check my phone... In a theater, as if like I my blood sugar feels low, or like my sister is driving to Colorado and she's like texting me updates on where she is. Like, it has to be a very important thing, and I never say anything because you're my best friend. <laughs> but I fucking hate it when you check your phone, dude. I know, I know you do. <laughs> All right, man, let's wrap this up. All right. Well, this this wrap up is a little bit different. Yeah, because this was our one, our our full year, full year of doing podcasts, and we so almost we came back to we, where it all started. We almost averaged an episode a week. We got close. We got really close. We got close. It it didn't help that you know there was like a month there where, well, it was like we didn't record for a week, and then um, I got COVID, and then you were gone. In Texas, yeah. like the weekend after I got better, right. So there was like a three, like a full, like twenty day period where we just had no ability it to also, hook up and record whatsoever. We also had a full like month and a half where your laptop got stolen, and then oh yeah, the soundboard was broke. Yes, yeah, and the mixer got so, broken, and con- that was fun. All, all things considered, we did pretty good. I'm pretty happy. I'm not with upset the amount of content with how much content we put out there. Um, and for those who listened to the first tenant episode and are still here, yeah, huge thank you. Thank you. There's like three of you, and I Probably appreciate less it. Than Ten for sure. I really appreciate oh. that. Um, we're not going anywhere. No, we're not. At least not we're not. For, not for a while. Not for a while. Yeah. Um, 
So <clears throat> when we revisit Tenet mm-hmm. five years ago, five years from now, <laughs> five years, five years now. ago, that is fitting. Yeah. When we revisit Tenet five years in the past. In 2020. Because, oh. because five years in the future, we're millionaires. And we figure out how, how to invert ourselves yeah. in time. Dude. We're going to re-record Yo. in reverse. <laughs> we're going to speak backwards. Which, by the way, we didn't even mention the fact that there was people speaking Russian backwards oh, yeah. in oh, this movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. That's nuts. Oh, um, dude. It's I'll, also oh. just nuts that we are still making podcasts. It is. A year later. I think it's a good thing. I think it's mostly a good thing. It's, it's very good for our mental health, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. You know? Except for when, um, you know, things like The Devil All the Time. Uh, one of my probably top five favorite episodes we've ever recorded just uh, had the sound ruined and we had to throw it away. The whole thing. The entire thing. And that was like an hour long. There is nothing left. We had a lot of thoughts on that movie. In that hours was, That worth. was an hour. That yeah. was an hour episode. And not a single minute was used. And it was one of the best movies of last year. Yeah. And not, well, it was a very it was a very controversial movie. And we and I liked it a lot. We will never be re- releasing that no episode. I will never. I will never. I will un, the till the day I die. I will never speak of that movie on a podcast ever. <laughs> we just did on God. Just, no, I'm saying like I will not you'll provide. Re- you'll never provide analysis. critical thought or analysis on that movie. Agreed. Ever again, so long as I live. Guess what? I might watch it tonight. You know what? Because I you know what? Just because it sounds like a good time. The man himself, Chris Stuckman, could DM us. He won't. He never would. But he <laughs> he could DM us and be like, "Hey, heard you guys never got to talk about this movie. I'm I'm about to talk about it. Would you want to do a collab?" You'd and I would no. say, "Fuck you, Chris." That's what I would say. <laughs> I would say, "Go fuck yourself, Chris." Oh uh, yeah, that was one of the worst days of my life. I wouldn't actually. Say, it, okay. If Chris Suckman asked, then yes, I would talk. But until the day I die, Dom, I will never talk about that. That oh. I do want to watch it, though. I kind of want to watch it, it again. It was good. It was. It was good. I liked it. There was a lot to unpack. It was dark. It was dark as hell. Holy shit. There was a whole lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, All right. So anyway, anyway. Th- enough of that. Um, Thank you for listening. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you know, do the courteous thing. Leave us a leave us a rating. It, if five stars, if you want. Four stars, if you want. It, one star, if you want. If you hate it, okay, that's okay. But at least tell us. At least tell us. Leave a review. If 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 you're giving us one star reviews, let us know. Uh, and if it's that bad where you absolutely hate it, subscribe and then hate it next week yeah, too. Yeah. Then you have like then hate you it have, every single time. Then you have trash to listen to each week. Exactly. You can make fun of us all. You, you can want. like channel your hatred instead of like channeling it towards like your wife who you probably beat. You can channel. It Why would you say into that? watching because they're that? probably a piece of shit. Okay, anybody who hates our ourselves. content, seriously, pieces come of on. shit. Come on, like, all right, we, we, all we're doing is having fun. Well, and we've also right? we've also talked about the fact that they are in support of dogs being thrown off right. cliffs. Yeah, right. If you're instead of you know throwing that dog in the back of your car off of a cliff, channel your hatred and into, into, to our into our show. Let the dog live, and then you'll you know probably be a better person. Um. Anyway. We're going to... So in that case, we're actually making the world a better place. Yes. Even, like, through people who think negatively of us. Correct. It's because I'd rather, them, I'd rather them take their negative energy out on the reviews on Apple Podcasts... 100%. ...than yeah. on puppies. Oh, my God. I would. I would, too. I would. I would. 100%. It wasn't even a joke. All right. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Thank you again. We love you all. Be sure to subscribe. Keep listening. 
we're gonna be here for a while so don't go nowhere i'm gonna take these headphones off stop saying that never